everybody. Welcome. My name is Efrain Arroyo, and I'm your host for Anven Podcast, short for Ancestor Veneration, where guests and I discuss family roots, heritage, culture, life experiences, interests, research, and visions of the future, honoring our ancestors through our greatest achievements. Hear the stories of where we come from, who we are, and where we are going. Recording from sunny Long Beach, California. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today for episode one is longtime and good friend, Rene Perez, coming to us from Brooklyn, New York. Today, we'll talk about his roots and research on Taino language, myths, history, and much more. But before we get into things today, I'd like to give a bit of background on myself. Your boy is a Cuban, Peruvian, Nicaraguan American, born and raised in Southern California. I've had a passion since childhood for family history and roots, along with anthropology. And in part, because of that, I am currently studying archeology span as an undergraduate at CSU Dominguez Hills near Los Angeles. This podcast has been a long time coming and what better time to do it than now. So let's get into it. Renee. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Ephraim. It's a pleasure. Welcome, welcome. For starters, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so uh, my name is Rene Perez. Um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I am uh, Puerto Rican descent, as some would know as uh, Boricua. Uh, my family are from, um, from Puerto Rico. Um, my mother was born there um, from Isabela, Puerto Rico, which is a small town in the north side of Puerto Rico. My father was born in New York, uh, but when he was a baby, uh, he moved to, his family moved to Puerto Rico, so he grew up there, uh, raised there. And um, so uh, I come from a um, a family of 13. My mother had 13 kids, so I have a pretty big family. Um, So uh, seven boys and six girls. Um, So I I actually, I study a Taino language. That's my, one of my passions. Um, I've been studying Taino language since uh, I would say uh, maybe 25, since I was 20, I'm 34 now, so that, that was 25. But I've always been interested in Taino uh, history since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so how that came about was uh, years ago, I asked my mother, I believe I was like four, what was a Puerto Rican, you know? Uh, and she asked me Indio, you know? Uh, she didn't know, unfortunately, Back then, they didn't, uh, in schools, my mother was born in 1948, but back then, in schools, they didn't teach how the heritage is, everything was passed down to family, to tradition, but even right. some other family, they didn't know some of the traditions. So she just said Indian, mm-hmm. um, and um, I thought it was from India, so I'm thinking, uh, right. from India, you know, so um, as I got older, um, I started researching on, uh, I, w- I was in high school, I used to live in Far Rockaway, Queens at the time. And there was this movie called Amistad. I don't know if you ever heard of a movie called Amistad. It was about uh, African slavery, et cetera. Hmm. And, um, and that the classroom, the story is with Spanish, you know, throwing the, the Africans off the boats and et cetera. And everybody was like, oh, you, because there were the Spaniards doing it in Spanish. People were like, oh, you Puerto Ricans, you Cubans, you Dominicans, I did this to us. And I was confused. The reason was because my grandfather, my mother's side of the family, they are black. And right. my brother, he's, he's also seems black. So I didn't know. My mother used to say that the reason they were dark was because of the sun. <laughs> right. Now you see how the education fits. She didn't really know much about it. That's perfect. That actually seg- segues into uh, what I wanted to talk to you about. And that was uh, your mixed ancestry. And that's actually um, an important thing for Puerto Ricans. You know, to exactly. acknowledge that. And then furthermore, a lot of you know, Latin Americans, too. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, some Latin Americans don't know some of the their background culture. Right. Uh, yeah. So the so when I was when I was researching, I, I I said to myself after that classroom incident, I went to the library and I started reading like Cuban history, Puerto Rican history, all the histories, and one thing had in common about the people in the Caribbean and Latin America was they were slaves that were brought there. We all mm-hmm. had we all had ancestors that came from Africa. And now that kind of hit a point with me. And then I started researching about Taino stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this, so much, this makes so much sense. Then I realized that in Puerto Rico, they teach you 
about the three races. They call them the raices, the tres raices, and the uh, right. African, European, and the Indian. Just like the T-shirt, right? That famous it's T-shirt. Like, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So they have that there. But um, so I started researching that, and it got deeper and deeper. And then I realized there were people in Puerto Rico. There was this. Um, they there was a guy. He when the internet, you know, when AOL first came out, everybody you know. He was one of the first people who used the internet to spread his uh, Taino heritage. And um, his name was Pedro Juanaqueu Torres. He was the first person I know that was uh, spreading his Taino. He was proud to be Taino. He said he was descendant from Aguebana, the great chief of Puerto Rico, at the t- um, who lived at the time of Juan Ponce de Leon in the 1500s. Um, so I was really interested in this, you know, I was like, wow, that was like 16 at the time. And I was like, oh, I need to meet people like this. So I started, I started researching on researching on it. Then when I was 18, there was a study, I think 21 or 22, there was a study in Puerto Rico, a DNA study by a guy Juan Martinez Cruzado. And he did a study in Puerto Rico on the island that he took 800 samples of each part of the island. And it came out that 80 to 70% of Puerto Ricans have a mitochondria DNA of the uh, the Indian, the Taino Indian and uh, descendants. Right. Would strike me. I was like, well, wow. So I, had, I was showing my mom this. I was like, wow, look at this, look at this. And as I started researching, I used to tell my mother why her dad was black, why my brothers this and this and that was because we were mixed. And she was like, wow, you know, so it made her more proud of her roots. Yeah. You know? Way more proud. And when I was, um, I started getting into it, I started reading books on languages and I realized that some people in the, I don't, in the Taino community now, for the Taino community started, it was a new thing. It came out about 20 some years before my time and um, maybe 30 years or 20 some years. But um, these people were the people who started realizing about the roots and they wanted to bring back the Taino identity. Right. And to this day is still there. I guess you could call it too a pan, it could, could be called a pan Taino identity, you know, because uh, yes, I agree. There's a lot of, cause you know, as, as you've researched, you know, that uh, there's all these different group of Taino, um, uh, I guess you could call them uh, localities or lo- local groups. Yes. And, um, they're, they're uh, very different from each other, but they, they all speak a common tongue. Yes, I agree. Yes, that's true. Very, very, very true. So that, that, and that identity today is basically that pan Taino identity where everyone together who's of Puerto Rican descent recognizes mm-hmm. that they, uh, they have that Taino blood in them. Yes, yes. Even the word Puerto Rico, is, it's a new thing. It's not really, uh, it's from a European, they, they call it Puerto Rico because it was rich port. It had rich right. resources in it. But the original word of the island was uh, called Borinquen. Yeah. So, would you would you speak about that for us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. So, um, so the Indians they call it borinque um, or borique. Um, the word boricua, as we call them, it comes from that. Is from the roots from this from that word. Um, when you googled it, the word borinque, you would see that it would say "Lord of the Violent Ones," but that's kind of wrong. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, this this is this is occurs in every Caribbean culture. There's an ethnocentric. <laughs> Uh, centrism, like, you know, ethnocentric Puerto Ricans and Cubans. So they made up that word. Um, I don't know where they got it from, but when you break it down linguistically, um, the ball means uh, it comes from the, the carrot word, because I don't know if you know the history of the Caribs and the Tainos or the Arawaks, they were uh, mm-hmm. enemies of each other. And the yep. Caribs would take the males, the females, the wives from the Tainos and take them and have children with them. And the kids would speak bilingual. So, um, so it, it ball means island. So it comes from obao or ball. And uh, the ri, as in bori, means a name. And the qua, boricua, means like self. Mm-hmm. So as you can see, it means I am home. The name of where I'm from. This mm-hmm. is where I'm from. You can say what it means. It's a home because the the word for home, like you never heard of bohio. We use the term today, it's like a, it's made out of wood with some trees on it. We call that a bohio, like a hut. That comes from the word. It means home. It's a house. So it's where they're from. Um, uh, when I researched this work in the Kalinago language, which are, which were the people who lived amongst the Taino people, um, mm. which the Caribs, the enemies of these people, the, the language became um, part of the Taino language because of the women that they took from them. 
and they started mating and having children. So their language became predominantly more Arawak than Carib, than mm -hmm. male language, you can say, the Carib. So yeah, I think you've mentioned that. Kinda, yeah. That the yeah, Arawak so language was the main tongue kind of thing. Yes, it was the main tongue. And it became, I think, maybe 30 to 20% of the male language, which is Carib. Um, so when I found, when I look it up, I found the word Boricua, or they call it Borigal. Uh, this was recorded by the French. The French were the ones who were, like the Spanish were the ones who recorded Taino history, but the French recorded Carinago. And there was a dictionary in 1666 by Raymond Branton, who recorded all the languages. And I found the word there. And there's a French, it's called Borigal. And what it means is, um, it's, well, unfortunately, it just means the uh, the place where their parent or father comes from, the home of their dad or, or parents. Mm -hmm. That's from the women. And the males, they call Boricua, Borinquen, Upao um, Moin, which means island of the blood. Um, today, people think, oh, why would they call that in the blood? Maybe because they're fighting and killing. I said, no. What it means is that the blood means relatives. So the island of my relatives, mm -hmm. you know, not something that was... Uh, has to do with killing in the war or anything, even though they did fought each other, but it doesn't have nothing to do with that. It was just right. the island of my relatives because they took some of the wine, the mothers from there, their mothers from the island. And that's what happened. At one time, Puerto Rico was considered a Carib island because it was right. small and the, the Indians were very different and then supposed than the ones in Dominican Republic. You know? It's kind of the same thing in Cuba too. I mean, probably even more so in Cuba because uh, when I grew up, I would always ask my grandma because my grandma was straight from Cuba. Mm -hmm. and, uh, she left actually before Castro came into power mm. and um, she she always used to tell me like oh I don't think there was any um you know like she would call them indios in uh in Cuba she would exactly she never knew about it and um and then when I would tell her you know I'd, I've done some research on Taino and some of the other groups in the in the Caribbean uh she's just amazed you know and then mm -hmm. Come to find out that we we have a lot of uh, Native American ancestry from both my grandma and my grandpa's side. So, you know, it just makes very, a lot of sense. Very interesting. Yeah, it's like Cuba was a uh, um, Cuba was a very big island with a lot of um, there were different types of tribes that lived around those islands, like Dominican Republic in Cuba called the Guanajuato Bay, and um, there was another group called the um, uh, I think what they were called uh, the Lucayo people. Um, some of them lived uh, in Dominican Republic, for example, there were different tribes like Makori, lower and upper Makori, Wanahata Bay, and um, they were the Taino people, the Arawak people. Yeah, I remember um, you talking about uh, Guanahata Bay once. Yeah. I think it, they're uh, an original people, right? They're people who were there, one of the first people who were there on that, uh, on that part of Cuba. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah the uh, part of Cuba. And it's also in Dominican Republic. Um, the, the, so the word Taino was a it's a there's a misconception there's like some there's some um controversial of this word um so the first recording of this word taino was that um if you look it up you was in the in the wikipedia it would say that it means good people um this is from people who don't didn't never study the language as uh, as deep because supposedly the word thai means good and then mm -hmm. the the norm means like good people this comes from uh an account by um dr chanka who was uh, Columbus's physician. While he was on his second voyage to the islands, he, bumping, he encountered an island called Guadalupe, small island in the Caribbean. Um, and he saw these natives, when he was in a boat, he saw these women, just women saying, Taino, Taino. And he says it in his account as, he says, as if they were saying good people. Right. And if you read that carefully, he's saying as if. He's not saying that it meant good people. Right. Um, so when you look up this word, I found it, um, and I have studied it um, very deeply from different languages, because the ones that are related to the Taino language are the people who lived in South America, because it's an Arawak, uh, it's an Arawak branch of languages. So Arawak is very different branches of Arawak, like Northern and Southern, like there's Latin, Spanish, right. you know, Portuguese. Um, so the, uh, the, Ar the Taino language fits in the northern side of South America, that branch. So like the Locono people, the Wajiro people. So there's different branches of Arawaks. And I started looking into that. So I st but also I started looking into the closest people that were with us at the time, which were the Kalinago people. Um, the Kalinago people, I looked at them because they had 
predominantly most of the Taino languages from the women. And they do have the word Taino there. Mm. And it comes from, uh, their they, 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 pronunciation is very different because it's from the French. But they say Taino. As you can see, it's Taino, right? So it's Taino. So Taino in the Kalinago means uh, people. But it just means people, not good people. Or my relatives. It means like relatives or friends. You see? Mm-hmm. And... Um, so the 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 the, uh, the extensive word to that one, which uh, which recorded was called Nitaino, which was recorded by uh, Columbus in Dominican Republic. Right. He says that they use a term called Nitaino. He doesn't. He says he doesn't know if it meant governor, uh, judge, or uh, or hidago. Um, so Nitaino just says the word ni, and then you got Taino there. Uh, it means ni means my. So what they're saying is when he asked them who were there, he's just they the chief at the time was just saying, these are my people, my family, my relatives. Not good. So the Nitaino, when you look up this word, you will see an internet that it means supposedly noble or like a ranking, supposedly, according to what today's uh, scholars believe. But it, there is, it doesn't mean like, it's not a ranking. It just means my people. I think that might be based uh, in the Spanish, you know, um, perspective. I guess you could call right. it, because they used to always look for ranks amongst exactly. uh, the the natives. You know, they would always go, "Who's your chief? Uh, let me see. Uh, who's a who's your cacique, basically?" You know, and um, and you know, for the most part, a lot of the groups were egalitarian too. Exactly. Not always, but yeah, so. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, it, like, for example, the word hidago was a, a ranking term from Spain, and all they cared about, they, all they knew about was royalty and kings and kingships. That's all they knew about in their culture. Um, yep. So, in the Taino uh, uh, culture, like you just said, it was everything was egal, um, egalitarian. Like everything was just equal, you know. Yeah. So, um, they didn't think of it like that, even though they did. But they didn't think of it as disposal. So what's interesting about the word Taino is that in Italy, there's a town called Taino. However, it doesn't. So there is a possibility that Chanka may have uh, used the term because it, it sounded like a town from Italy. Hmm. So Taino actually in Italy, it actually means good wine. So now you can see the misconception about the word good people. And it comes from vino in Spanish. Yeah, I was going to say, exactly. Wine. So we say Taino or vino, Thai vino or Taino. So this is the misconception with the word good wine or good people comes from. Because it's it's coming from a perspective, from an an Italian uh, perspective. You know, they didn't know the language. They didn't know the people. They were only recording what was sounded very similar according to their, uh, their lifestyle and culture. Right. Um, so just like the recordings in the myths, you know, the, the, the Taino myths are very complex because uh, the guy who, rec- yeah, the guy who, who actually uh, recorded it was a guy named Roman Pene. He was not Spanish. He was from Catalan. It's very similar to Spanish, but not exactly Spanish. He was right. Re- that's on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Right. That's on the East Coast. Exactly. He was a, uh, a guy that really was, he had a competitive, him and Patalame uh, de las Casas, who was a close uh, he actually recorded most of Columbus's uh, uh, chronicles. He wrote of most of Columbus's chronicles. If you read his stuff, his stuff is very good, but it actually gets you upset because you see there what the, they did to the Indians, you know, killing mm-hmm. the babies and torturing them. It's very, very sad to read. But um, and when you look at the uh, Roman Panese now, he was from a, he had, he had a competitiveness between, there was a competitiveness between him and, and Ptolemy de las Casas. But he wasn't fluent in Taino. He was actually fluent. He was actually knew more of the Makori, which was very different languages. Mm-hmm. And um, when, he, when, he went, when he was uh, told by um, Columbus to record the myths, um, he told him, I don't know the language, but he had help. And he had help from a native uh, Taino who was the first Taino in Dominican Republic to convert to Christianity um, and his whole family. So he helped him a little bit of how to uh, translate the, the natives. 
And when you read his account, it could be very frustrating because he, he, he gets confused and he's using terms, uh, using words according to his language as well, because he didn't understand the culture. He didn't understand the spirituality. And he even says it that he says it himself that the natives, they don't know what they get the oral tradition of the history of the myths from, because it's like, they just know they say different things. He says that himself. So a lot of today in Taino community, they use his account and Columbus's account, well, Potomac like a Bible and they go everything, <laughs> go everything by them. And it's like, I always tell them, you have to be careful because these were four five, almost 506 years ago, but these people didn't know anything much. They, a lot, there's a lot of errors in their account. Yeah, I mean, it's just basic ethnocentrism. Exactly, a lot of them. So I'll give you a great example. He records that in the Taino myths, Rame Pene, he says that uh, there was a goddess named Atabe, and that she had five manifestations, five names. Her name was uh, Wakar, uh, Atabe, um, and um, the other one was uh, Zomako, and uh, the other one, uh, I forgot the other names, but, oh, and Yamao. So if you look up the word Yamao, that does not sound like an Avonwak word or indigenous term. And when I looked it up, I started looking at Catalan languages and I found that Yamao in Catalan means brother and it comes from the Spanish hermano or Yamao. And just so people know uh, where Cata, Catalunya basically is, that's what we're talking about when we talk about Catalans. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, where you know Barcelona is, that's the capital and it's on the east coast of uh, the Iberian Peninsula. Exactly. Yes. Um, and I was gonna say before we go any further, too, for people who don't really uh, understand or know the Taino too well, uh, why don't you just talk a little bit before you go any further about uh, how they were the people who who met Columbus? Uh, yeah. So the people who met Columbus was um, the people from Cuba. There was uh, the people from um, Puerto Rico. The people from uh, there's an island called the Guanahani Islands, now called San Salvador, which is in the north of Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, he, that was his actually people miss people. There's a lot of mishistory here that people think DR was the first island he discovered. It was Wanahani on San Salvador. So it wasn't the Bahamas. It wasn't the Bahamas. So it was um yeah. So he he encountered those islands first, but Dominican Republic was the first island to be civilized. I hate to use that term, but when I mean by civilized, there was the first island they used. They encountered, they slaved the indigenous people. They brought everybody in there and, and um, he based their castle. They built a castle of his, a right. station, you can say, from the headquarters. And we can call it civilized in the eyes or the perspective of the Spanish. Exactly. So basically what I'm saying is the Taino people discovered Columbus. Columbus never discovered any islands. We discovered him. Because he was lost. He was lost. Exactly. He was actually looking for India and uh, he, he was looking for India and uh, that's why they call the Caribbean the West Indies and mm-hmm. that's why they call them Indians because of they're from India. And another thing that a lot of people don't understand was that they had so much love. The Native Americans, they used a lot of love. They used, they were very compassionate people and from the inside. So that's what the word Dios, they were like God people. He could, so he used the word Indios, I mean, that's where you get it from Spanish, because like the word Dios means God, you know? Right. Now I have to do more research, but I think I've brought this up to you before and I, and I have to confirm it. But uh, my recollection is that that term Indios was actually first used when the Spanish tried to invade the Canary Islands. Um, and they were talking about the native Canary Islanders. Right. Exactly. It's interesting because no one, no one really thinks about it like that. You know, they're always thinking it was just the Native Americans, but they yes. don't know that they were also... We're actually originally talking about native North Africans. Right. The, the, um, the Wachas, the Wanches, I think they call it. The Wanches, correct. Yeah, the Wanches, yes. It's funny. I have, my, my, I have ancestry there in the Canary Islands. Um, and my grandmother, they used to call it Islenos. When I researched what this meant, it means Canary Islands. Such a beautiful place, too. I really want to visit sometime. Yeah, it is a very, very beautiful. In fact, some of the fruits that we get in the Caribbean, like the bananas and everything else, they actually come from the Canary Islands. A lot of people think they were native to the Caribbean, but well, it makes complete sense, right? I mean, that's literally that was the port that, that they the had port. used to get to the Americas. Now you see where Puerto Rico means rich port now. Puerto Rico means right, and then from there the they, they just kept expanding, kind of, you know. So 
Exactly, exactly. So my thing now, I'm just trying to do more research on the Taino history and the myths because there's a lot of misconception there. And a lot of the Taino community today go by like these myths like it's the Bible, but they really don't know what they are doing in a sense. So my thing is, is trying to revise some of the languages and the projects. I wrote a few articles on it. If everybody wants to read it, all they got to do is go to Google and type in origin of the Taino people, the Taino word. And you will see Rene Perez Lisiaga. Lisiaga is my mother's last name. And Jorge Estevez, who I work with a lot. He is the top Taino researcher in the East Coast. He used to work at the Smithsonian, the Smithsonian Museum in New York. Um, uh, he's been teaching in a lot of documentaries as well. Exactly. Yes. You can YouTube him as well. In fact, uh, we were both in, in, in a few other us, um, the Higuayagua uh, group, which we have like a, a, a lot of people, like a, like a, like a tribe. And uh, he actually, he, he's trying to get it real known, um, like, a, like our own tribe. And uh, we were actually in the National Geographic magazine. We were trying to identify and to tell people that we're still here. Not to say that we don't have African and European ancestry, because we all do. It's just that when you go into the islands and you go into these, you realize that the African culture and some of it, uh, the African culture is really uh, demonized. And what I mean is like when you go to DR and you see a dark black guy and it's some, oh, you have African, you look where African, they will tell you, I'm not black, I'm not African, I'm Dominican, oh, I'm Indios. So you can see a lot of this self-hate there in the islands, you know. Um, Puerto Rico now is, is re they're realizing it now that they have African ancestry, but mm. people are realize that, realizing that now. But we're just trying to make people realize that don't forget the Indian, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the thing. It's been almost wiped out for the most part. Right. And we were the first to, the world. to exactly. Yeah. And we were the first to, to encounter Colombia. We were the first to be called Indian. So I remember doing a uh, project in, uh, in Queens, New York, with a friend named Luis um, Ramos, a good friend of mine. And the project was to teach certain objects that we use today in the Caribbean, certain foods that we use Taino words on. And the security guard from the school said, hey, so what, so you Taino? I said, yeah, I'm descendant, yeah. See, she said, uh, what part of Mexico are you from? So as you can see, a lot of people not, not realized uh, about much about the Taino people. They just know much about the Mayans, the Aztecs, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's not really much on the Taino people, not talked about. So that's the key to bring more history about it. And tell people that you know we were the first to, to discover Columbus, and we're still here. People are descendants from them. Yeah, that's know, that's enough. so important. That's actually what this podcast is mainly about: yeah. is honoring those ancestors and making them known. Because exactly, you know, it's yeah. it's literally up to us. I like to use the term by a lady named Luida Luisa Figueroa. She wrote a book called History of Puerto Rico, and she used the term. Uh, she didn't use extinction. She said absorption. Hmm. It was a survival thing. So they knew that they were going to, um, in order to survive, they had to blend in. So they had to mix with the American, the, the, the African, the Europeans, so that they can know that we can exist in the bloodlines. So they had to absorb in, in order to exist, to keep their roots going, mm -hmm. you know? So um, that's what it is in our roots. But yeah, so we, 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 um, we were in the National Geographics and it was a great thing. And um, uh, a friend of mine named Casey Akapa and his wife, she's Japanese, they were the photographers and they did a perfect job. And it was, uh, so not now the future projects we're trying to do now is do more of the record a lot of the words that we still use today and just correct them. Right. And also try to correct the true history of the Taino history by using in South America, the myths and combining them because they're very similar myths. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's important too is that you guys are doing them your, yourselves. You know, it's not some other scholars yeah. or, or someone else who doesn't yeah. have any relation to these people. Yeah. We actually have grants. Yeah. We're getting grants. We oh, actually get Yeah, we actually getting some grants from scholars and, and PhD guys because we work with a few of them. That's and great. right now they're trying to get a grant to go to South America, actually, a group of people to go to South America and study the... Um, uh, the natives, the tribes there, and try to compare and contrast between languages and um, and agriculture. Because yeah. believe it or not, we have the Yucca, but in also South America, the culture and Locono people, the, the agriculture very almost the same. It's actually the same the way the Taino people live. Mm -hmm. Basically so, a comparative analysis right there, and then also doing ethnographic work. Exactly. That's what. So, that's the whole point. That's what we're trying to do right now. So we're getting a few grants for that, and also on a language beautiful. project. Yeah. 
So I wanted to bring it back to Brooklyn. Yeah, sure. Um, so what was it like, you know, being a Puerto Rican uh, growing up in Brooklyn? Well, Brooklyn at the time, <laughs> when I was born and raised there, it was before uh, gentrification even exists. As you, Now there's some gentrification going on here. But there's yeah. still parts of Brooklyn that's not. But at the time, it was very bad. It was very tough. And it was like when the community that we lived in, I was from, I was born and raised in East New York, Brooklyn. But I lived in other parts of Brooklyn, like Best Eye and Bronze Red. But there was a high population of Spanish, like Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Mexicans, Cubans. Um, so it was very tough. Yeah, you know, it's, it's that like, 90s hip hop era, you know? That. Yeah, yeah. I was born in 85, but from 88 to 90s, it was very tough. It was very bad. And uh, it was just drugs and guns and killings at the time. And it was just very violent. Um, East New York had one of the highest crime rates in in New York City and uh, and then the Bronx. So there was always a competition between the Bronx and Brooklyn and Queens too. Mm-hmm. So, but at the time in Brooklyn it was very, very tough, but I lived in an area where there was a lot of population of Spanish people and Puerto Ricans and stuff like that. So it was a little tough, but sometimes it was easy, but they were Spanish crimes against Spanish crimes, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, uh, it was just that there was, when we used to see like a, a Caucasian person coming in, it was like watching an alien because it was really rare if you see any uh, whites or something like only besides cops. But if you see anyone just walking regularly, it was like, whoa, what is this, you know? And uh, <laughs> yeah, like, who is this guy? You know, it was like, because we rarely see them. We used to see them in movies, but it was very rare besides going to school and then looking at your teacher, you know? But, but what an interesting dichotomy because a lot of white people can say the same thing, you know, people of Western European descent. Exactly. They can say, hey, um, you know, I, I grew up in a neighborhood and, and didn't really see a person of color until, you know, later on in my life or, or exactly. only saw them in movies kind of thing. Exactly. Which is interesting because it goes both ways, you know. It goes both ways, exactly. Yeah, it was it was different. It was different, and uh, but it was tough. Um, I, the school systems were tough too. So um, anyway, I moved a lot. So I lived in Brooklyn, but I live other parts of New York too. So you know, but it was Brooklyn. Was I still live in Brooklyn now? I moved back. So you know, at the time it was a lot of the the hip hop, and I remember um, we couldn't go to the bat. We go to basketball courts, but we would put. Um, like you know milk crates and the mm. tree that was like basketball rims you know yeah we couldn't go to the pool so we would use the fire hydrant or the johnny pump as we call it as a pool right hey i don't know about anybody but i mean when i grew up in la too and i grew up in la when i was a kid that's exactly what we used to do the same exact thing yeah yeah with the johnny the, pump yeah yep that was the the good old days yeah it was the good old days man and you know what those fun those those days like that they turned out to be great memories because we improvised, you know, we used to play a skelly in the street, you know, basketball, stickball, you know, because um, we couldn't go to the pool, we would use that. You know, Dominoes was a big thing in, in Puerto Rican culture in our block there. We used to, the old man used to bring the milk crate as a table and a little wood and a little, no, the milk crate is the chairs and get a little table and that was our Dominoes outside in front of the bodegas, you know? And, mm-hmm. and you know, when you go to Brooklyn to this day and be back then, every time you see a Puerto Rican flag on the buildings, that means it was, Puerto Rican lives there, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, so it was just a lot of that going on and the music, you know? Yeah. So now when gentrification came, there's certain Spanish stores that's being closed down because of the, the loudness. But these people have been there for years, man, 20, 30 years, the stores, the music stores. But now they're coming in, they're already complaining about the noise. So it's kind of changing the, the culture a little bit, you know? Yeah. It's hard to adjust. Yeah, so that's that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about too. Next yeah. was Brooklyn culture. You know, like how would you define it? And I'm, and I remember talking to you about it too. You said that it, you know, it changed a lot from when you were a kid growing up. And yeah, uh, like you said, now yeah. it's it's kind of like uh, that culture that's already been there. Now it's you know that gentrification coming in, and it's like what is what is uh, what is appropriate gentrification at that point? You know, like you're gonna eliminate yeah. culture or, or subdue it in some sense. You know. Yeah, good. you know, there's some pros and cons to it. Um, right. I'm not a, you know, the, the great thing is that, that I'm seeing now, the culture is that it's being diverse now. Hmm. I, the other day, I, I go to the gym, which is not far from me. And, you know, there's a lot of white people coming in, hipsters. And I seen the other day and I saw the people, you know, bonding each other, playing dominoes with Puerto Ricans, uh, trying to blend in with each other because they're neighbors. 
can probably understand and recognize that's the culture, you know? That's the culture, that's yeah. That's, that's what yeah. it's all about. So it's recognizing and understanding each other's cultures. Exactly. And the other day, I was watching uh, these black kids playing basketball and stickball with these little white kids. And the parents are there. And the black, they had, we have black parties in the summer. And, and you can see it. So you can see that diversity is still there. And it's, that's the beauty of it, that we're just trying to get along. And the crime rate is, is some places are still up, but some of it's going down. Mm. But it's 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 changed. But sometimes there's pros and cons because you do have a lot of uh, Caucasian people who have a little bit of racism and they want to change. That's been for 20, 30 years. You know? Yeah. Or it's just like, you know, uh, like we were talking about, it's that culture they're not used to. And, um, you know, they're they have that ethnocentrism. And yes. They're not under trying to understand from that other culture's point of view. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, is, there's some pros and cons. to it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah there's some pros and cons to it. Um, you have a lot of hipsters who just just like them. You know, they want to they want to play dominoes, learn from these cultures, and realize the beauty between all, both cultures. Because there's no such thing as one culture better than the other. Besides color, uh, we all humans, and we are trying to coexist. And the only time to only the only way to coexist if we can learn from each other. You know. Yep. Yeah. Public service announcement: mm-hmm. We're all Homo sapiens sapiens. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. So since we talked about that a little bit, which is, which was awesome. And I've learned a lot about you. Honestly, we've, we've talked a lot, but uh, even this podcast, I've learned a lot about you and I, I hope Thanks. listeners are, are, are enjoying this as well. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your involvement in the different mystery schools. And then also just a little bit about what a mystery school is, and then maybe a little bit about the misconceptions. Oh, sure. Uh, so um, I am a Freemason and uh, and I've been a Freemason for about three, four, three years. And I also am a, um, a Rosicrucian. And I'm involved in many Masonic bodies um, and many Rosicrucian other type of lineages. Um, so the whole misconception about mystery schools is that a lot of people um, think that the, they hear the word Illuminati. They hear this uh, the secret societies and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, so but what they don't know because they all secret secrets. society secrets. <laughs> yeah. get all from exactly. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just it's just weird. But you see, the word mystery school has been going around for, for thousands of years. You know, right. it goes back from the Egyptians and the, the Greeks from the Eleusian mysteries, and um, they, there's the mystery schools has plays and dramas in them. You know, so. and that's how we first met too, actually, through ancient Egyptian. Uh, like the love for ancient Egypt and uh, ancient Egyptian mystery schools and all of that stuff and hey, you know, hey. how it and how basically transformed into the ancient Greek and the ancient Roman and, and like you said all these other middle middle eastern ancient middle eastern cultures exactly exactly yeah so the misconception is that Freemasonry is all the governments and stuff unfortunately and every, <laughs> there are bad and good people in these Freemasonry groups you know you got- and it, it probably has a lot to do too with the fact that a lot of the founding fathers were Freemasons. Exactly, exactly. And so, the, you know, uh, the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons, they, they, the tradition goes back to Egypt, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's just that the word mystery, um, the mystery schools, it means hidden. It means like a knowledge or wisdom of something, like the mystics. They were all mystics, you know, and uh, it actually comes from the Latin word mutos, which means to be quiet, to be silent, because... The mysteries were so, they hold the secrets to some of the, the teachings that in order to teach them, you have to go to, from mouth to ear. And the secrets were never writing. So these mysteries, like dramas, like the Bible, for example, they have these dramas and allegories. But if you really pay attention to those dramas and allegories and those, all those mysteries, you, you would understand those um, very significant uh, principles that are there for um, self-analysis to improve yourself or what the Greeks say, know thyself, you know, and these teachings will improve your, um, yourself, your way of living spiritually mentally and physically. Now the, you know, a lot of people, the misconception is, Oh, why are you going to hold secrets? What are you doing behind closed doors? You know, uh, the truth is, is that, um, you know, there was one in the Rosicrucian order, there was an imperator named, um, Harvey Spencer Lewis, mm-hmm. and there was a guy who wrote him a letter. He said, hey, uh, you know, why do you guys keep secrets? And he wrote the guy back, and he said to him, he said, uh, uh, I'm actually reading a scientific journal right now that will answer your question. And he said to him, 
the, the scientists said, um, if monkeys were to learn how to light matches, we wouldn't have any more forests. Hmm. So that means that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. So if you trust a friend of yours with a secret and he goes and tells someone, and you trust in him with a secret, you can't trust that person anymore. So these secrets are just that there are certain teachings that in, you can't teach everybody. A lot of people are not mentally ready or physically ready, you know, or mature. And that's the reason why we hold secrets, you know, um, but not secrets to rule the world. It's secrets to improve ourselves. Yep. And that's exactly what alchemy is. It's not even... Hey. The transmutation of some sort of material. I mean, it, it, it is too, because it's multi-meaning, you know, has a multi-faceted meaning. And um, what, it, what it really does mean though, and, and in the concept of what you were talking about or the idea um, is that it's the improvement of the self. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what it is. That's all it's about. And um, um, I've, when I first joined it, the Rosicrucian Order, they, they gave me, it was a very, very interesting journey. And it still is. It still you, is. You I made a great point too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was the, the whole thing with, you know, you, you, a particular student or an individual not being ready to receive teachings. And, then, and you can bring that back to just, you know, an individual going to school and, um, you know, you're not like, we'll just use this analogy of math. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that first level of math, how are you going get, to get to that second level and that third Very level? Very true. Exactly. There's not going to be a lot of comprehension there. So it's mm -hmm. just that basic principle. And, um, and, and I find it funny too, because I'm sure a lot of, uh, you know, members of mystery schools would say, oh, um, you know, we're not holding secrets per se. You know, if you want to know the quote unquote secrets, all you got to do is join and learn and then get to, that, get to that level. And, and basically, you really don't have to join mystery schools if you if, if you, you can just learn in yourselves, learning how to build yourself. You know, it's, it's you what a mason is. A mason is a builder, but it's building of your personality. It's yourself, your soul personality. Yep. You know, and, um, you, you know, and unfortunately, there's this a lot of misconception and there's conspiracy theories going around, you know, and um, I can tell you now it's nothing like that in the order or in the fraternities. Um, and, and I think you said it's actually more of a social club at, at some points. At some point, yeah, it is. You know, there's not a lot of like that. And, and the Rosicrucian order is not. The Rosicrucian order is there's a lot of mystics in their teachings and stuff like that. Um, but in the fraternity and the Freemasonry, there is some people who, who, who are really into these things, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, it seems like it changed over the years. Something has to change, but now I'm bringing that, I'm trying to bring that part back, you know, so we, we have a, uh, doing lectures, I'm doing lectures and um, esoteric lectures on Freemasonry, on astrology, on tarot, on Kabbalah and stuff like that. So, yeah, talk about about your lectures. That's that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about next. Perfect. Yeah, sure. Uh, my lectures are the uh, I do a lot of it on like uh, astrology and tarot and um, some of the Kabbalah stuff. I do I study a lot of Kabbalah um, and I study a lot of languages. Like I'm not a linguist, but I know some stuff look, looking at those languages, like Latin, Hebrew, Roman, and Sanskrit and Arabic. Those languages, if you understand those languages, instead of and besides my background and the, and the Taino stuff and the linguist, but um, I've learned that if you study those things, you, know, you will find a lot of interesting things. Uh, a great example in astrology and tarot, one of my, my lectures, is that I talk about how um, the United States, the, uh, there is a prophecy of the United States, and there was a reason why these Masons and the Rosicrucians um, came here, because they were... Uh, uh, they were a big uh, fan of uh, Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon wrote a book called The New Atlantis. And Francis Bacon was one of the big founders of Masonry, one of the big guys of Masonry. He was also an imperiator, according to the Rosicrucian tradition, he was an imperiator of the Rosicrucian order. They also said that he was Shakespeare. Um, so he wrote a book called The New Atlantis. And if you read it, there's a lot of uh, secret stuff. There were esoteric things on the... Um, the destiny of the United States. He actually said the United States was this new Atlantis. And, uh, you know, you get this conspiracy, like conspiracy theories when they look at the back of the dollar bill to see all this novus, all those novus occlorum in the new world order. But what it, they get this from Virgil. When you read Virgil, Virgil, he actually, he actually means the new age of man. It's a new cycle that's occurring because it talks about this cycle of Aquarius that's occurring. And, um, so when you go back into the Masons and Rosicrucians that came here, uh, when they, they came here for that purpose, they knew that there was this, this new cycle 
and the uh, the prophecy was here on this land. And um, when they signed the Declaration of Independence in 1776, July 4th, when you do the birth chart, you would see interesting things there. And you will notice, I've done the chart, and you will notice that the ascendant is in Scorpio or the eagle, which is why we have the eagle um, to mm-hmm. represent the United States. And we have the uh, midheaven in Leo, the lion. And you have the descendant, which is opposite of Scorpio, the bull, Taurus. And you have the, the nadir, which is Aquarius, the man, the opposite of Leo. And if you read the Bible, then according to Ezekiel, he says that God had four faces. He had a face of a man, face of a bull, face of an eagle, and a face of a lion. Hmm. And if you look at the birth chart, you see these signs are perfect, aligned, but the sun is in cancer. And a very interesting thing. And um, they signed it at that time and place because of that is aligning with those zodiac signs. Hmm. Um, what's interesting is that the ascendant is 13 degrees in Scorpio, the eagle, and the midheaven is in 21 degrees in Leo. Now, I study Kabbalah and I study Hebrew Gematria. Gematria is that each Hebrew word has a number according to them. And uh, 13 times 21, Scorpio and Leo, the degrees, is 273. Why it is important in Masonry? Because 273 in Hebrew is a value of the Hebrew word Haram Abif or Haram Abif, one of the forefathers of Freemasonry. Hmm. And it's also uh, related to the Hebrew word. Um, Eben Masucha Bonyan, and it means in English, uh, the stone the builders rejected. Mm. Now you see how this is all related in masonry and uh, the connection. Um, I got the, 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 the Secret Destiny, of, when you read The Secret Destiny of America by Manly P. Hall, you will see there's something, there's the destiny that's there. Uh, and there's an interesting account there. And I'll leave it for the audience to read that book and they can see what I'm talking about when they read that book by many people. It's a very interesting book, you know? Right. Yeah. And I always thought that that saying, um, you know, the, um, the stone that the builder refused will always be the, the head cornerstone. Because yeah. I never really understood it. And this might just be one interpretation and there's, there's many of them, but one interpretation that I got um, and it's, and it's basically, you could say it's Mason based mm-hmm. or a, or it could just be, you know, like Mason in, in the sense of someone who builds with stone. Um, the, the stone that the rejector, sorry, the, the stone that the builder refused that he had rejected is the capstone of, of a pyramid because it's the yeah. last stone. It's the quote unquote rejected stone that's put at the last minute or, you know, when the complete pyramid is full and, um, and ready to get the capstone on top. Right, right. And it actually pertains to the personality. We have something in, in, the, in the Masonic Lodge. It's called an Ashler. It's a stone. And that stone is, is, represents the personality. And so I think, too, that, that's probably what the symbolism has to do with the all-seeing eye. Exactly. The final capstone on top. I think, I mean, I'm just making this connection from pure observation. but um, Yep, it just it represents the personality of the individual. Know thyself. Right, exactly. And that's probably the, one of the misconceptions, too, because a lot of people just think it's like the big brother kind of thing, you know, like someone's mm-hmm. always watching over you like an almighty. Yeah, and actually, he is. He's always watching over you, the almighty, but it's you have to watch over you, too. So it's that pa- some people are related to the pineal gland and et cetera, et cetera. But um, it, it does. But it's the sole personality of the individual, how to use that stone and smoothen it out because we always constantly trying to smooth out that stone to perfect it which is our personality ourselves yeah, exactly and, and it's just yeah. like anyone can just imagine you're you're a mason you're someone who who works with stone you have a rough stone in front of you that's mm-hmm. who you are you know and exactly you're, you're you're constantly chipping away at it until it becomes a beautiful sculpture mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's 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 who you are that's that true essence that you become exactly exactly Yep. And you hit it, you hit it right, you hit it on the rock right there. We're constantly uh, you know, struggling and we're constantly working towards that goal. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know. So yeah. so that's that's beautiful, man. I, I really appreciate all that information. I want to go into any future plans you have. Uh so you said you were working on a book? Yes. So uh in the future I wanna see if I can write a book on things about uh, esoteric stuff. Um right now. Um, I feel like I'm not ready yet because even though I'm only 34 and I see a lot of uh, authors who are very young, they write books, but 
I don't want to write a book just to write a book and sell it. You know, I want to write a book to make sure that all my sources are are there. And I don't, I want to make sure that um, I get everything right. You know what I mean? I don't want like to be me. like, oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is why exactly. we're friends. We want exactly. to have make sure all of our ducks are in a row before we publish anything. Exactly. So that's one of my, my dreams and my future. And uh, right now, the projects that I'm working on now is just on, lang- on the Taino stuff, is um, language stuff uh, and the MIF stuff. So we're trying to get a grant right now to to do this and um right now my friend george and i we working on it and um on the language stuff on the, um, some of the taino words and then later on we're going to crack down the myth the, the myths or the spirituality they use they hate to use the word myth <laughs> so all the spiritualities of the, the spirituality of taino um so that's it's like take, it's trying to it's trying to find a needle in the haystack because the, there's a lot of missing links there and the only way we can find it is by looking into South America and to the spirituality of them, which is our closest cousins. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do. And they, actually, they're trying to build their own language. So, and the only way you could do that, which you find this in other cultures, when their language were extincted, they had to look at their closest cousins in order to build a new language for them. Yeah. 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 That's how you do it. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I can't wait. And, you know, I got to do a book eventually, too. And, you know, we might yes. work on something in the future. That's actually the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was yes, might do some sort of possible collaboration in the future. We don't yeah. know what it's going to be yet, but um, whether it's going to be a video or an article or something, we're definitely going to do something. New Which I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Especially as I, you know, go through the school and get these degrees. Yes, which is important. <laughs> we, I, I need a PhD guy on my side. <laughs> That's right. I'll be your man. Yes. But all, awesome, man. Hey, well, thank you for coming today. Thank uh, you for and, having me, brother. Being the first guest on my uh, you know, podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, man. Hope to do it again. <laughs>